can be seated this morning. I love that song. I love getting able to learn new songs and things that that God is doing. As I shared Dan's story, I'm, I'm just reminded of our own brokenness. I'm reminded that EVC is a church that we've said is a church of the screwed up. That's us. It's your pastors. It's the congregation. It's who we are because here's what we know. We all are broken. We all are frail. This life is not the end. And as I've been here, just coming up, it'll be two years this year. I am so thankful that I am in a place where we realize our woundedness and our brokenness. Because it's only when we get to a place of woundedness and brokenness and we understand that we are there, okay? We're already there whether we realize it or not. But it's only when we realize it that God can then take us and minister to other people who are also wounded and broken and separated from the Father because of our sin. And it's when it's because of that that I am so thankful that we're at a place like that because it gives us a place where we can minister from. Because if not, we would simply be a church that, ha- that says, come on, everybody just come and, and be a consumer and be all the things that God wants us to be and God would have to bring us to a place of brokenness in order for Him to use us. But when we realize and we acknowledge our own woundedness and brokenness and grief, it's then that we know that God can use us. And as we go into this series, look in the mirror. Some of you have looked in the mirror this week and you didn't necessarily like what you saw. Unfortunately, that's what I told you guys over the last couple of weeks that, that you know, I, I looked in the mirror and I, I, I see that I, I gained weight first in my face, okay? And so that, that's the first thing that I see and I go, okay, I... These are things that I, that I want to change. But when we look in the mirror, it's talking about the reflections that we have of ourselves. And so we want, we want to encourage you, this year is going to be a year where we look into God's Word and we allow God's Word to speak into our hearts and where we're going to challenge you as your pastors to be in God's Word on a daily basis. And we want to challenge you. We want to help you get there. We want to not just say, hey, go do it, and we're going to keep beating you over the head until you do it. We're going to try to help give you tools and and ways and resources to be able to do that. But today we want to look in the mirror. We want to first understand, how did we even get mirrors? Have you ever thought about where did this obsession with looking at ourselves begin? It actually began early with civilization. As civilization is growing, it began the very first mirror was what? It was a pool of water. And then it was it was uh, actually polished obsidian, volcanic rock was some of the first mirrors that we have discovered of ancient civilizations where they learned to look and love what they saw in themselves. Next came polished metal which continued till about the 16th century where they developed a process in Venice using tin and mercury and and were able to create a mirror. And then a major breakthrough came in 1835. This man, his name is Justice von Liebig. Justin von Liebig created a process using metallic silver and plated glass, and it began and changed the whole way and industry that we would begin 
to see ourselves. Now, do you find it interesting, as I do, that the man who really invented the modern-day mirror is called Lie Big? Okay? Does that, does that seem to interest any of the rest of you? Because what I want us to see today as we think about what we see in the mirror is there are often a lot of lies that we see in the mirror. We've got industry of cosmetics and plastic surgery and all these things that create facades of things that aren't really the real us, are they? There are three questions I want to give you today. I really want to encourage you to take these questions home with you. So write them on a note, piece of paper, take your bulletin out, flip it over on the back. We give you a place for notes. But here's the reason why. Other than just coming and getting to know the back of someone's head on a Sunday morning, there is more to the Christian life than that, okay? There is. That's a shock to some of you, I know. That was a joke, and you should be laughing. <laughs> okay. But this is an opportunity for us to know more about ourselves and for us to be able to take these questions and take them through the week and ask these questions of ourselves. There are three questions that I want us to ask ourselves as we look into this new year. It's a great time for us to make changes and to see things differently, to look at our lives with a new look. So I want us to look in the mirror. The first question I want us to ask is this. Am I seeing what is real? Or is what I am seeing real? Is what I'm looking at in the mirror the real me? I had a hilarious thing that happened to me several years ago. It actually happened to my mom. My mom died about three years ago with her battle with cancer. But about four or five years previous to that, I met my parents in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was speaking at an ordination of a friend of mine, and they had driven, they had driven, they had driven. Oh, it's going to be a long day. They had driven over from northwest Arkansas and met me in Tulsa, and we ate at Abuelos. Can I get an amen for Abuelos? Yes, you can. All right, so now all of you are hungry, and if I say that in the 1130 service, they shut me off and are ready to go home, Okay. But Abuelos, as many of you know, if you've ever been in that restaurant, Abuelos is kind of interesting because they, they have walls of mirrors, and it makes the place look a lot bigger than it is. And maybe nobody else has noticed that. But in this particular one in Tulsa, there is a wall of mirrors and a table that's pushed up right to the wall of mirrors. And my mom is walking in. Sometimes her sight wasn't too good, I think, at different times. And she walked in, and she took her seat closest to the mirror and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me, I'll, just, I'll just sit here. I'm going... Dude, this is my mom. I'm really concerned, you know, as to what's going on. I said, Mom, who are you talking to? She said, well, that late. Oh. <laughs> she said, I was wondering why her outfit looked just like mine, you know. I, was, I mean, we were dying laughing about this. Her, seeing her image in the mirror like that. And our waiter comes over, and he is kind of wondering why we're chuckling. And evidently things like this had kind of happened before. And and so we told him, he said, oh, that's not, the, that's not the biggest, that's not the worst story that's ever happened. And we said, oh, please, tell, tell what the story is. And he said, well, not too long ago, a doctor came in with his whole staff, and he was having, it was an office party of some sort. So, and uh, they'd had a little bit too much to drink at some point in time in the party. And so he stood up at the end of the table, which was the furthest away from the mirror, and was saying something to his office staff. And went, oh, hey, and he starts walking and got to the mirror and just plastered himself right up against the mirror going to shake the guy's hand, okay? Maybe it's just the sick part of me, and if you're laughing, it's the sick part of you, that you wish you had been there to see that, right? But you see, here's the question for us. Am I seeing 
what is real. Many of you have seen this image. It's a very popular image of, of an iceberg. And what we know about an iceberg is that only one-seventh or one-eighth of the mass of an iceberg is above the water, a la Titanic, which means that 86% or so of the mass of an iceberg is something that you cannot see. And what I am saying and proposing to us this morning is when you get up and you look in the mirror, you are the iceberg. And there's only a small percentage that you're seeing in the physical image of yourself. But we know that full well, don't we? We know that what makes us a person is our heart, it's our mind. It's the things that people don't see. It's the abuse that we've suffered. It's the things we've been called. It's the things that, of people that have believed in us and some that haven't. The makeup of who we are as a people of God or as a person who is without God is much more than what we see. And what I'm proposing today is what is the image that you really see when you look in the mirror? We see that in this passage, Proverbs 27, 19. We're going to have several th- places that we go this morning, but Proverbs 27, 19 says this. As in water, face reflects, reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. The real you is not what you see in the mirror. The real you is the heart. It's what not the heart that beats within your chest, but it is the essence of... The Hebrew word literally means the essence of all you are. Your mind, your will, your emotions, everything that you are is not what you see in the image of the mirror, but it is your character and what God wants to do with your character. So what we want us to see as we start this new year afresh and anew is, is the image that I'm seeing in the mirror the real me? And the answer is no, it is not it. It is not the only me what God wants to say it is the heart that God looks at how can we profess Christ and walk out of this place and treat people like dirt we cannot if we understand what God sees in us if we understand the real us that is our character we just did a series in the fall talking about removing masks and this first point is really the accumulation of that series What mask are you wearing that you could take off and allow people to see the real you, but really allow others to see the God who's in you, if you're a believer this morning? Am I seeing the real me? It happened for David, 1 Samuel 16, 7. To set the scene, Saul, or God has rejected Saul as king and said, Saul will no longer be king. And so Samuel the prophet goes to the house of Jesse and he says, do you have a son? He says, as a matter of fact, I have seven sons. And a parade of his sons now is taking place before Samuel. And God is going to choose one of Jesse's sons as king. He starts with the oldest and maybe the best looking and they keep coming by and Samuel says, nope, that's not the one. Nope, that's not the one. And he eventually gets to David. But what God says about David and what God says to us through Samuel is this. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at that face in the the mirror and we see ourselves and we see this image 
But God looks at our heart, and he sees our heart. And for many of us, that's a scary proposition. Because guess who also knows our own heart? We do. And it's a scary thing for us to look in the mirror because when we look and we see not just the iceberg that's above the surface, but we see the things that are below, and we see the character of our lives, the things when no one else is looking, that's what our character is. And we say, what what can God do with this? What can he do with the real me? The face in the mirror, God sees our heart. Jeremiah 17 talks about this. Verse 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Everybody in the room is probably going, No kidding. That's me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. When given to our own devices, we would not be here this morning. But you're here. And God has a message for each one of us to say that God looks at our character. The heart is desperately sick. And I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deed. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know and knowing that that God looks at our heart, God looks at our character, but that when we look at our own heart, sometimes we don't like what we see. In this room this morning, there's a man who desires to provide for his family. And he struggles day in and day out. God knows your heart. He knows what you desire. And he knows the things that you strive to do, but the things that you just don't seem to be able to accomplish. He sees you, if you're this person, when you're at your faith's edge. And you're looking over and you're staring death, or you're staring abuse in your past or you're staring an addiction in the face and you're at your faith's edge you're looking at a broken marriage you're looking at a broken family god knows your heart he sees your struggle with addiction to alcohol with addiction addiction to acceptance addiction to food pornography and as you and i desperately as Pascal says, he, he was more than a mathematician, by the way. He was a theologian. Pascal said, there's a God-shaped hole inside every one of us that we desperately seek to fill. And we fill it up with all kinds of things. We try to fill it up with acceptance. We try to fill it up with success, with money, with friends, with church attendance with doing the right thing, with giving money away even, we try to fill up that God-shaped hole with all kinds of things, and we find that it cannot be filled except by God. It's a God-shaped hole. And so we need to fill that God-shaped hole with a relationship with a loving God. And we can talk about that from Sunday in to Sunday out, but if it doesn't go into our hearts And if it doesn't lead us to being in his word on a daily basis, because this is God's love letter to us of what he wants us to experience. Okay, for some of the guys in the room, you go, love letter, that stinks. Okay, it is God's journey manual that is really cool to the greatest journey that you'll ever discover. It is. It's the road map. It's the sense of directions that you'll never ask for from anybody else, but you can ask for from God. Do you see 
the real you. Here's what it really comes down to this morning. is change. Here's the truth, whether we like it or not. We will change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Let me say that one more time. We will change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. None of us really like change. Some people act as though they thrive on it. That's just chaos, and that's a sickness, okay? But most of us do not love and embrace change. We like things kind of the way things should be. We like everything ordered and in its own place. But we will only change when the pain of that becomes greater than the pain that it does take to change. So look at that thing in your life. This is an evaluation message today that we can take with us and live throughout the whole year to say, what is what I'm seeing the real me? Or are there things that need to change in me? Only when four years ago, when my cholesterol got high, and when I took just a little bit of a family history and realized that both my grandfathers died of heart attacks, that two of my uncles on my mother's side and two on my father's side both had heart issues, okay, it came really close, and I began to understand the likelihood is pretty great that I have a heart issue. And the pain of staying the same became greater than the pain of change if I wanted to be around for my family. So I made some changes then. Then now I'm back in 2011, got to make, or 12, 2012, and I've got to make those same, some of those same changes again. Are you seeing what's real? Are you seeing the real image? The second question I want you to ask of yourself today is this. What are my blind spots? What are my blind spots? I think you may be familiar with this, but I want you to watch this. All right, so as you see that, I think you understand what blind spots are, okay? I love the ooh, ah, 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 laugh, okay? And I love the lady's face when it's happening, you know? But what are blind spots? They, what? Hide big things, okay? That was the message of the video. Your blind spots hide big things. So the second question for us is this. What are your blind spots? What are the things in your character? If our heart is really what God sees, if our heart is really who we are, then what are the blind spots in your life, in my life, that we need to recognize? They're the things in our life that we need to change. What are those blind spots? Satan's whole scheme for us as the church is simply this. It's really simple. It's keeping us from seeing what is real. Okay? Now, every time you see the Allstate commercial, imagine him with... Uh, with you know pitchfork and, and little ears okay and what he says is I'm your blind spot I want to hide big things okay it's funny but it ain't funny is it your family knows your blind spots whether they've told you what they are or not they know them everybody sees what's in the room the question is are you willing to look at 
down and say, we're going to do something differently. Are you willing to see what that blind spot is? Rather than just share this, I want to share with you what Scripture says about our blind spots. And before we all feel like we are lower than snakes' bellies this morning and we are really not worth anything, I want to bring out two individuals who began to see their blind spots. They're two pretty important biblical characters. One's named Paul and one's name is Peter, okay? These two men discovered their blind spots. I want you to go to Romans chapter 7 as we see as Paul discovers his blind spot. It's not just about you and I. It is about these great men, patriarchs of our faith that we see. Verse 15 of, John, of Romans chapter 7 says, I do not understand my own actions. Can I get an amen? Okay. I do not understand why I do what in the world I do. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree about the law that it is good. So it's no longer, <clears throat> excuse me, so it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So what Paul says is, it's my blind spot. My blind spot is sin. It's no longer I that is doing this, but it's the sin that dwells in me. Now, the sin is part of me, so it's not like a blame game that I'm saying, well, it's not me, it's that sin over there, so I don't have to be a, associated with it. No, what God is saying, what Paul is saying to us is that, it's our blind spot. It's the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I'm not able to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. The enemy is close at hand. He is always waiting to continually tell you that it's not there, that character is not important, that it's really the image that you need to focus on, the image that you see in the mirror. It's not your character that you need to work on. That's what the enemy wants to say. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members... My, my, my hands, my feet, my mind, another law waging war against the law of my mind to hold me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And here's the incredible truth for us this morning. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What Paul is saying is he understood his blind spot. He saw it, whether it was other people who helped him see it, whether it was his conversion on the Damascus Road that, that God let him see what he was and who he was. But God wants you and I to know what our blind spots are so that we can understand that they need to change. We don't need to come in every week and come in with the same issues and the same things we need to grow in our faith but the reason and the only way that we will do that is through christ it is not something that you can achieve on your own the same way that you came to faith in christ through grace is the same way that you're going to live this life in christ through a grace life understanding you cannot do this on your own 
What are those blind spots? And one, one other character that I want us to see today is Peter. The Catholic Church believes that Peter was the first pope. That is not necessarily our belief, but what we know is that Peter was a great patriarch of our faith. Peter, Paul, we could also mention John as those, those three such great patriarchs of our faith that because of their obedience, we have not only God's word that we have today, but we have the opportunity to receive him. But I want you to see Peter's blind spots this morning as well. Because I think, for me, I can talk about my blind spots, I can talk about your blind spots, but when we see them in these great people of faith, then we realize if they have them, guess what? We have them too. John chapter 21 shows us this. If you'll turn there and look at John 21, we see, let me set the the episode up a little bit, because Jesus has been crucified, he has gone into the grave, he has risen from the dead, and now there's a period of time before the disciples see him physically. And you remember one of the last things that Peter did, Jesus actually appeared to the disciples, but then there's a, a period of time before he appears in the final time and ascends into heaven. But if you remember, Peter had just recently done something, and that was deny Christ. Three times he denied Christ, and then the rooster crowed, and Peter realized what he had done. Peter realized one of his great blind spots. The disciples didn't know what to do, so they went back to doing what they knew best, and that was fishing. And they really looked to this guy, Peter, because Peter was one of the first disciples, and they, he was this brawny, man of, man of all men type of character, and they looked to him, and Peter was feeling pretty low and depressed when we get to John 21. John 21, verse 15 says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Now, Peter's going, Jesus, why do you keep asking me the same question? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. How many times does Jesus ask him this question, this question of looking in the mirror? Do you love me? Three times he asked this. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you, were, when you, were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You remember the very first words that Jesus said to Peter, a disciple, fisherman at that time, not a disciple yet, who was fishing. He said, drop your nets and follow me. The very first thing that Jesus said to Peter was, follow me. The last thing that Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Do you know your blind spots? Peter's blind spot was, first of all, self-confidence, self-reliance, really. He relied so much on himself 
And when we look at our lives today, one of our great blind spots is that we think we can do this life on our own. God says you can't do it on your own. If you think you can, you can accomplish it, then Satan already has you defeated. If you think you can continue to live this life, if you think that you can overcome, if you think you can overcome grief, overcome death, overcome difficulty, overcome lack of finances, lack of job, broken marriage, if you think you can overcome all those on your own, then Satan has you right where he wants you. Simon Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you know me better than I know myself. I have to come to the end of myself. Jesus said, follow me. Peter still didn't quite get it because we come to see his second blind spot. Verse 20 goes on. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. I always find it interesting in the book of John that John wrote that he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Is that not interesting to you? It just always strikes me. I call myself the disciple. that Je I am the pastor that Jesus loves most. Okay, that's, that's who I am. So, so we know that John is speaking of himself here. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him, and he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And then when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if it's my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? But you follow me. Peter's second blind spot is one that we, a lot of us, share as well. It's comparison. Peter wanted to say, as all, a lot of our if we have teenagers, we tend to say, that's not what? It's not fair. That, what about John, Jesus? What, what about him? What about that dude over there? How come, how come he gets all this and does this? And, and Jesus says, what I do with John and John's life is between John and me. But for you, Peter, again, he says, follow me. What are the blind spots in your life and in my life? How, would you, how will you begin to locate them? I want to give you two very practical steps on how you can locate your blind spots. First of all is simply this. Be transparent through evaluation. Allow other people close enough to your life that they actually see you, that they know the real you. Get close enough. That's the reason that at EVC, one of the things that we are stressing now and, and will be several, over the next several weeks is helping get you involved in a life group around people, sometimes men with men, ladies with ladies, but couples with couples where we, life upon life, we can see each other's lives and we can challenge one another and be transparent. But who am I kidding? I know that all life groups don't always get to a place of transparency. We can still come with our facade and come with our picture that we have in the mirror, and we can come week in and week out. What's the difference? It's when you're willing to lay down the facade, to lay down the mask, to lay down the blind spots and be transparent with others and let them ask you the difficult questions. Who do you have in your life right now that you could ask for areas that you need to improve? and that you would listen, okay? Now, the last part of that is the toughest part. You have plenty of people who speak into your life of things you need to improve, don't you? Okay? This means yes, this means no. Okay. Yes, you do. But will you listen to them? Blind spots will always be there if we do not recognize them and do something with them. Proverbs 27, 5 through 7 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what that really says? It says this. Find people who will love you enough to be honest with you. And submit yourself to accountability with them. Who's willing to ask you the tough questions? Do you have anybody close enough in your life, outside of your spouse, and the problem with your spouse sometimes is that first thing we talked about is that you tend not to listen to them. But who do you have in your life that you are close enough to that asks you the tough questions, that says, this might be a blind spot? And you listen to them. What are your blind spots? The third thing I want us to see, the third question I want, us, want you to take into this beginning of January 2012 is this. What's the true image? What's the true image that I should be seeing? You see, this message up to this point, for many of you, you go, I don't disagree. I know that my heart is evil. I know that my heart is sick. So, my problem is, I don't think God can do anything with me. What I, the last thing I want to share with you today is what's the true image that God gives of you? What is God who made you? What does he say about you? The first thing, Genesis 1.27, your maker says, you look like me. The maker of heaven and earth says, you look like me. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God says, I made you in my image. You look like me. That is no accident. So if you feel bad about this today, if you think, how can I do anything? How can God use me? God made you in his own image. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, God made you in his image, and you look good. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and say it. You're a bunch of liars, aren't you? Okay, I know. Yeah, you, you said that to that person. You didn't believe that. You didn't believe what you just said. No. I know you did. Many of you did believe that. But God made you in his own image. He didn't make a mistake. The true image that God sees in you is his image imprinted upon you. And consequently, he sees that same image upon that person next to you and on the person who cuts you off. And, and the, all these, these two are made in God's image. And so we need to recognize that as well. A second thing he says to us is, your maker says he does not make junk. Your maker does not make junk. Psalm 139 Verse 13 says, For you were formed, or you formed my inward parts. <clears throat> you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. God wrote every he wrote every developmental piece of your creation in his book. Okay? When every cell within your body was formed, God wrote it down. 
That's a lot of writing, isn't it? Do you see the intricacy of your body, of, of how it works? We, we see when we come to a place where we hear about illnesses, and I'll never forget the doctor telling me when, when talking with my mom and, and talking uh, about some, some cancer she had in, in her colon, and we were talking about it. He said, the miracle, any doctor who opens up the human body and doesn't believe in God, I, I do not understand. He said, do you know how much absorption um, surface area your intestines have to absorb the nutrients? I said, no, I don't have a clue. Why don't you tell me? He said, you, every single one of you have the surface area of a tennis court inside your body to absorb the nutrients that you need. God knew every one of those little alveoli, which are the, the fern-like structures that are in your colon that just stretch out and absorb all the nutrients in your food and bring them into your body. When every single one of those, of which every person in here has millions of them in your body, he wrote it down in this book. God doesn't make junk. You are a wonderful creation that God made. So when you look at your character, when you look at your, the issues of your life, when you look at maybe your marriage or your relationships or the things that you struggle with, when you look and they seem like they are all falling apart, know that it didn't catch God by surprise and that you can turn to Him because He's the one who made you. The final thing is, your Maker says you are His masterpiece. You're His masterpiece. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not by your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that none of us could boast. We can't say it's our doing that we did this. It's not something we accomplished. It's something that, thanks be to God, that Jesus accomplished in us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are God's masterpiece. You are the pinnacle of his creation. You. Maybe there's an incredible classic car, man, that you really like. Maybe there's a gun that is fashioned that that's, man, when you look at that, you go, that is a fine piece of equipment. Moms, when you looked in the face of your child for the very first time and you saw something and you went, that's how your heavenly father looks at you. And he says, you are my masterpiece. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the real you? Do you see your heart? Do you see your character? Do you see what God sees? Do you understand that the real message today is that God sees the worst of you and loves you anyway? And a God who loves like that is a God that I'm willing to live for. And I don't do it in a perfect way, just like Paul and Peter realize their blind spots. I have got major ones as well. And I need men and women around me that help me see what my blind spots are, that say we love you enough to tell you the truth and to not leave you where you're at, but to say you can become greater things to give God glory. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you. For this day and I thank you for this opportunity just to share what we see in the image that you have given us to see 
Father, I thank you that every person in this room, you know full well, they cannot run from you, they cannot hide from you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to each one of us individually right now. Wherever we're at, that we would draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, what do you want to do with what's inside this circle? What do you want to do with me in this new year? What do you want to do with me and my family? For some of you, that means that you don't have a relationship with God, and your very first step is to say, God, I want to know the one who knows me, like he just described. I want to live for the one who gave his all for me. That's what I want to do today. For others of you, you, you are intimately acquainted with the, the darkness of your own heart as I am mine. I want you to see God who says, you're my child. You're my work of art. You're my masterpiece. Live like it because I've created you this way. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us enough not to leave us alone or even the same. Father, I pray that you would bless this offering as we take it this morning. God, we commit ourselves to use it to bring you more and more glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right? Bunch of liars, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what it is. Oh, sorry, Hollis, you didn't have anybody sitting next to you, did you? All right, you, you had to look in the mirror to do that. But God says, you look like him. The second truth that I want to tell you today is, your maker says you don't look, he does not, or your maker says he doesn't make junk. He doesn't. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says, For you were formed, uh, for you formed my inward parts, David says to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you in secret. When I was made, or when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God says he does not make junk. That is who you are. He created you in his image. You are not a mistake. He made you just the way He wanted you to be. He knows the days that you will live. This week as we walk into walking with Dan and Linda, we know that as a church family, this is a walk for the long haul. As we've seen with others of you this morning, a walk through grief, a walk through difficulty, a walk through um, understanding addictions is a long walk, isn't it? It takes somebody who's willing to walk with you through good times and through difficult times. And we must understand it doesn't catch our God by surprise. He doesn't make junk. He doesn't make mistakes. The final thing I want you to see, that God, the true maker of who we are, what's the true image that God says? It's not the image in the mirror. It is the image that God has. He says, your maker says, you are his masterpiece. You are his crowning glory. You are literally the work of art 
that God has created. You're his masterpiece. You may not feel like you're a masterpiece. Okay. You don't have to feel like you're a masterpiece. You may have had people tell you time and time again that you're not a masterpiece. You're just a, something else. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> to... Okay, I just... Let me... But you know the images, that, you know the recordings that keep playing in your head, don't you? It's certainly not that you are a masterpiece. But here's what God says in Ephesians. It says, for, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. <clears throat> for we are his workmanship. The Greek word literally means here's work of art. God didn't make a mistake in you. When you look in the mirror, when you see your character, know that God sees you and He loves you. He doesn't want to love you for you just to stay the same. He wants to give you the confidence that in His power and in His strength, you can see your blind spot. You can allow yourself to be opened up and allow other people to speak into your heart and life and allow them to, to speak into your heart and say, this is how I want to shape you into who I want you to be. I love you. You're my child. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let God see the real you today. When you look in the mirror, don't hide yourself from him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, for those here this morning who don't know you, God, I pray that this message would resonate with them, that, Lord, they may not know how they can see hope in their lives, but you want to create that hope in them. Father, I pray that that we would begin to see ourselves as you see us, that we would see our blind spots, that we would take steps to allow people into our hearts and into our path, that they might help us with those blind spots. But God, that you might be glorified by our lives. Father, I pray that as you work in our lives this week, that you would help us be the church that we need to be, that we would love one another enough that can say that we can say to one another this is a place where you can put down your masks you can see the real you you can be open to what God wants to do in your life in our lives Father I pray that you would bless this offering this morning that you would use it to minister to people all over our city country and world to make a difference in this and in them in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What are